Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I, I, I am good. So I have a question for you, and I know it's going to sound silly, but I just want you to bear with me for a minute. Okay. Do you think that when the founders founded the United States, they thought of the United States would make a really good ending to a lot of alphabetic letters? You're talking about the various and sundry acronyms that have... Yes, SCOTUS (laughs) and FLOTUS and POTUS, right? Those are all... POTUS, for instance, is President of the United States, and Flotus is Supreme Court of the United States. And, and FLOTUS is First Lady of the United States, yes. And you have a new one for us today. Uh, I do have a new one. It is WOTUS, W-O-T-U-S, <laughs> okay? And for those of you, I'm just going to pause. I'm going to let our listeners think, what could that possibly stand for? It is actually Waters of the United States. Um, And it is a statutory term that comes from one of the landmark environmental laws in the United States, the Clean Water Act, okay? Which was first passed by Congress in 1972 and was reauthorized five years later in 1977. I want it noted for the record, by the way, that 1972 was under Richard Nixon. So yes. people who think that Richard Nixon did not accomplish anything good in the world, you may have reason to believe that, but I counter with the Clean Water Act. Yes. I, cl- I counter with the founding of the EPA. I counter with a lot of things like that, which happened under Richard Nixon. So yes, Watergate. Yes, Tricky Dick. Yes, Enemies um, list. Talking, yeah, okay. yes, talking to portraits and drinking heavily while in the White House. I get it. I get all yeah, that. You know, and, exhibiting a level of paranoia that would keep a, 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 <laughs> team, a, a, a team of psychiatrists working <laughs> overtime. All of that may be true. On but, the other hand, okay, um, we do not get, okay, um, a coordinated federal government environmental policy if it wasn't for Richard Nixon. And yes, folks, he did it for electoral reasons, okay? Um, There was a part of the electorate that he wanted to appeal to, okay? But that's one of those times where politicians narrow self-interest, okay? Works out for the rest of us. (laughs) and, And the collective good, come together in one of those happy public (laughs) policy, okay, you know, rare circumstances. All of that may be true, but waters of the United States is a statutory term that um, is rooted in the Clean Water Act, okay? So if we refer, so I'm hoping we get to say WOTUS a lot during this. Oh, I'm hoping that we, we, we say it at least 30 times Okay. <laughs> so, but, okay, so let's start with the original goal of the, the Clean Water Act. Okay. So the Clean Water Act is not like building necessarily water treatment plants, but that's, a, that's an outcome of it, right? Like the intent of it was what? The Clean Water Act, uh, its purpose was to eliminate Um, the discharge or flow of untreated wastewater uh, from both local government and industrial sources into American waterways. So for those of you who are like the Clean Water Act, this must be about safe drinking water. No, that actually comes from a different federal law, which is the Safe Drinking Water Act. The purpose of the Clean Water Act was to address, and maybe Nia on our resource guide, we can find a photo of this. Um, There was in the 1960s, the Cayuga River outside of Cleveland caught on fire, okay? 
And the reason why it caught on fire was for decades, um, industrial sites in the city of Cleveland were basically dumping their wastewater into the river, okay? And it became so polluted, okay, that it caught on fire, okay? And that was the- Really, when you stop for just a moment and consider the difficulties of setting water to regular fire, I mean, setting fire to regular water. Sorry. Water, really yes. Sad, right, like if you took a glass of water and you tried to set fire to it, you would be unsuccessful from now until the end of time. Yeah, because it requires a chemical process, right. okay? That <laughs> you have is to alter the water so much. Much, yeah, because the water is a chemical, if you will, substance, okay, mitigates, okay, most of our efforts to build fire. Yeah, okay? water is non-flammable. Okay, so Generally think about speaking. how polluted a body of water would have, would to, have be. to be. To be flammable. Okay, to be flammable. It, it now, well, what that would mean is that it is X part chemical to X part water. Like it's, it, the water level in that river has gone so down and the chemical level has gone so up that the yeah, river that's where, is no longer what we think of as a definition of river, which is a flowing body of water, so much as it was a flowing body of chemicals that yeah, happened to have a little bit of water in it. This, this is where you know the chemical scientists start talking about so many parts this, per okay, minute, ver right. you know, versus so many parts of that. Which, you know, for most of us lay people, we're like, okay, you lost us on the parts versus parts discussion. Nevertheless, it was that kind of event, okay, that led to the Clean Water Act. Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, it wasn't just now environmentalists. We're talking about... Regular residents. people are like, hey, the river's on fire. Fire, right? You know... <laughs> This that doesn't is, seem like a good thing. <laughs> this is not good, right? This is not good. Now, of course, constitutionally, Mia, bait question, Congress's ability to regulate the discharge of pollution into waterways in the United States flows from what constitutional power? I'm going to assume that it's the Commerce Clause. Since every day when you wake up, you say to yourself, how can I bring up the Commerce Clause today? <laughs> I, don't, I don't sleep at your house, but I'm sure that that's what happens. I'm sure you wake up, you stretch, you get your coffee, and you think, let's see, where, where can I bring in the Commerce Clause today? Am I right? Um, I don't make that kind of concentrated effort. It just kind of flows <laughs> organically. Since we're talking about rivers, water, okay, it flows organically. And I'm never okay. going to be able to set fire to your attachment to the Commerce Clause, am I? It, probably not, but you are correct, uh, uh, Nia. <laughs> um, uh, uh, the constitutional authority for the Clean Water Act was the Commerce Clause. Um, and it's, you know, it, it basically, listeners, if you think about most bodies of water in the United States, particularly, you know, things like rivers, reservoirs, aquifers, they don't just exist in a given state. Right. Okay. They, An aquifer usually will move water from a great long distance from mountains to a city, and that may or may not be in the same state as the mountain. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, and again, listeners, think about um, in a previous podcast episode where we talked about the Supreme Court's original jurisdiction, the classic example of the Supreme Court's original jurisdiction are disputes between states. And so many of those disputes between states is about water. Water that flows, you know, think about the Colorado River out west. Exactly. Okay. I was going to say who gets to pull out a certain amount for ranches, a certain amount for cities, a certain amount that can't be pulled out because it has to continue downstream to the next state. States will sue 
states yes. that are earlier in the river and say you took too much water and now we don't have enough i think florida just sued georgia yes um, over yeah. that not too long ago because so, that's a water's a big well i mean you can you can't live without water more than three or four days so yes. so the clean water act is actually one of the most successful pieces of legislation in the last 50 years. Even environmentalists um, have acknowledged that by the time we get to 1998, okay, so basically a quarter of a century, okay, over 60% of American lakes, rivers, and shoreline were con considered clean enough for swimming and fishing. Okay. It's a little sad that that's not 100%, but 60% is pretty good when you consider that 25 years earlier, rivers were spontaneously bursting into flame. Flames, right? I mean, I mean the, there were environmental groups who in the late 1960s were like, you know, less than 20% of American waterways are safe for fishing and swimming. Okay. So, I, so this was a significant improvement. Okay. Okay. Significant improvement. But one of the things that the Didn't environmental a huge amount of, wasn't a huge amount of that about making industry stop just like because I guess with waste before that industry was just saying oh well there's a river let's just pour let's just well it wasn't just like industry. have a big pipe that goes out of our yeah yeah it wasn't just industry I mean this is the other thing local governments and in some cases state governments were just as complicit right okay. Okay, and, and remember too, folks, industries are regulated historically in the United States by state and local governments. It's the state police power, regulate for public health and safety. Right. And the incentives for state and local government to regulate for environmental concerns, industries that were providing huge tax revenues and were employing a whole bunch of their residents wasn't all that great, okay? Right. So you almost had to have the federal government step in to do this because the incentives for state and local government to either not discharge human waste, okay, into waterways or to regulate industries that were, you know, dumping you know, runoff from, you know, coal mines, steel mills, okay, um, and as the United States, you know, began to uh, develop, you know, uh, uh, its, you know, uh, chemical goods capacity, I mean, you know, the United, there was a reason why, you know, the United States was known as, you know, not only the producer of plastics for the world, but the best plastics for the world. Well, when you make plastic, Okay, you need water. Okay, and afterwards, you got kind of sort of a question. What do you do with all of the water that was used to make the plastic? Right. Okay. <laughs> right. right. Okay. Can I, can I just have a small tiny rant for just a moment? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. People think of like gross water running down the sides of the streets in cities like London in the Dark Ages or the Middle Ages, right? They think of that as a, a 1600s, 1700s problem, but people were dumping garbage out of their window, or dumping wastewater or waste sewage, as it may be, out of their windows into the street, and the streets were gross and disgusting. And then they somehow think that it got better. And the answer to that is, Nuh-uh, it didn't get better until somebody actively made the decision to make it better. And that didn't happen until the 1970s. So for most people listening, either within your lifetime or the lifetime of your parents, like yes. this is not, and it's not that we didn't understand that chemicals make people sick. We've known that for a long time. We've known for a very long time, three or 400 years, that wastewater can make us sick. And yet, it took okay. until 1972 for Congress to say, you know, we ought to make a law about that. And we ought to force industry to clean up so that, and municipalities to clean up so that citizens don't 
get cholera for no reason, right? Like, or the bubonic plague or, or you know, whatever. Or the their river may... bursts into flame or flame, whatever. Or, yeah, like, right. I mean, I mean, think about, you know, how many of us or how many of you uh, listeners um, like to go swimming, not in a pool. But, but in a lake or a river. Or, or the ocean. Or at the beach, right. Yes, okay. Or, you know, you like to go fishing, right? Well, you know, how enjoyable is it to go fishing, okay, in a river or a stream? That's on fire. Yeah, right? <laughs> well, and really, how disgusting are the fish? Like, yeah, right? That's the other thing is if people are using that because they're eating, that yes. they're eating yes. those fish, that's really, or they're eating shorebirds that eat those fish. Like, there's a whole, I mean. There is an ecological connection is, here. Yes. And, and what amazes me is that it is so recent. Yes. That it's such a recent sort of, oh, hey, that's kind of gross. We should probably stop doing that. But anyway. Okay. So part of the issue, okay, so for listeners, if you're thinking that, you know, me and I decided to do a podcast episode because we just like the acronym, acronym WOTUS. Well, there's actually more to this. Okay. There's actually more to this. Okay, and what we're getting at here is as we move into the 1980s, and again, somewhat surprisingly, first the Reagan administration, then the Bush 41 administration, but it culminates with the Clinton administration, the EPA made a determination that once they had cleaned up what's known as point source discharge, in other words, you know, the discharges of pollution from big industrial sites and local governments, okay, who were offenders, okay. The EPA then went ahead and said, well, you still have a problem. We're still getting pollution from agricultural runoff, erosion from logging and construction activities. And that's known within the discipline as non-point source pollution, okay? So let's, I'm gonna give you an example, Nia, from the Commonwealth of Virginia, okay? Think about farmers, okay, in Virginia, and think about, for instance, the Chesapeake Bay, okay, um, water source, mm -hmm. okay? When farmers go ahead and use chemicals and fertilizers to grow crops and it rains or they use irrigation to water their crops, where does that runoff go? It goes into the rivers which end up in the Chesapeake. Chesapeake Bay, that's right, okay. But they don't directly dump into the Chesapeake Bay, most of them. No, most of them don't, but it is. And they're it is... also not trying to dump like they're not doing what Dow Chemical did, which is just open a big gate and stuff pours out of it. Like, yeah, that's right. They, they're doing a indirect, right? Because they're putting it on the crop and then the rain or the irrigation is washing it into either an aquifer that then ends, ends up surfacing into the, into the bay or into a river that surfaces into the bay. And thus, okay. the, the, the name a of the concept. Harder, a lot harder to. Yes. And thus the name of the concept is non-point source pollution. Okay, because point a, source would be this spot. It's yeah, happening at this spot. Yeah, this, this, pipe, yeah be, this pipe is coming uh, right from this company and it's you know dumping a whole bunch of waste into this particular river. That's gotcha. point source discharge. And that's easier to solve. Yes, okay. Then it is the other, the other stuff. It's harder to solve, I would imagine. So part of the difficulty for the EPA was how do you address non-point source pollution when the law says the federal government has the authority to affect pollution in the waters of the United States? Oh, then you have to define what the waters of the United States, United States is. And this oh. is where we get the controversy. This is where we get the controversy. Okay. If you have a broad interpretation of WOTUS, okay, then the EPA can basically go into 
pretty much any body of water in the United States that you could plausibly make the argument, okay? I see. Okay, okay, wait, can I, can I, can I draw an analogy and you tell me if I'm right or not? Okay, go ahead, yeah. Technically, all land that is not, does not have a deed, a clear deed belonging to an individual technically belongs to the United States. Uh, not quite, because you got to remember the 13 original states all existed legally because of charters they had with the British Crown. And according to the US Constitution, once Congress ratifies a state, then that property that comprises the state belongs to whom? To the state. Okay. State. Yeah. So and that's where you get this idea of dual sovereignty. Okay. But but wait, but it's wait. similar, but it's a similar concept in the idea of if there is not a clear responsible party for a body of water, then the responsible party would be either the state or the federal government. That's right. Okay. okay. And again, the argument made by the EPA, and by the way, it's not just the Environmental Protection Agency, it's also the Army Corps of Engineers. <laughs> Which you don't want to mess with, or they'll come put a levy on your property. Okay. The Army I'm just Corps, saying. <laughs> the Army Corps of Engineers, okay, actually has a longer history in the United States, right? I mean, yeah. the earliest version of the Army Corps of Engineers was with the Revolutionary Army led by George Washington. I was right? going to say, didn't he have an Army Corps? Didn't he have a group of engineers? Who engineers, built stuff? okay, yeah, yeah because who built stuff for him, yeah, yeah, because some of the rivers that they navigated during the Revolutionary War were not easily navigable, right? Right, and they built bridges to get across the pontoons. That's right. And kinds of stuff. He had a group of guys who did that long before there was an EPA. EPA is the is 70s. a relative. Yeah, I mean, right. Yeah, right. 60s or 70s. I can't. No, remember. it was 70s. Um, okay. uh, uh, again, it was graded during the Nixon administration. Right. Okay. okay. Um, and, and, and in fact, uh, and, and I apologize, listeners, if I keep on making reference to previous podcast episodes. But Nia, you and I did a previous podcast episode, I believe, with our colleague Bill Newman about William Ruckel's house. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Who was one of those great um, uh, unsung uh, political uh, unsung heroes, bureaucratic generalists. Okay, who uh, was uh, 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 brought on board by the Nixon administration to basically give leadership and guidance to the EPA, and he did such a great job that they then transferred him to the Justice Department. Okay, and he ends up resigning during the Saturday night massacre during the Watergate crisis, right? Right. Yes. Okay. Okay. That's right. Okay. I remember now. So, where this becomes an issue is do you have a narrow or broad interpretation of WOTUS? So, let me me assume that the other beloved um, acronym of this podcast, the SCOTUS, had to decide the question of the WOTUS. Yes, right? Am I correct in that? You are correct. SCOTUS got involved with what was the appropriate interpretation of the statutory term WOTUS. <laughs> SCOTUS and WOTUS, right? <laughs> um, it just sounds like a really bad dance. Anyways, um, okay, that was a bad joke, and I apologize to listeners. So, There are two cases in particular where the Supreme Court weighed in on uh, 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 the meaning of WOTUS. The first was from 2001. In the name of the case, and it, sorry, it's just a really long case name, the Solid Waste Agency of Northern Cook County versus the United States at all. Okay. By the way, the Solid Waste Agency of Northern Cook County is the SWANCC because there are not enough acronyms Swank. in the world. Swank. Swank. Yes. 
Um, I, 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 I've been at academic conferences um, where <laughs> political scientists have gone ahead and said, well, in the swank case, okay, and I'm just like, you guys are enjoying these acronyms way too much, right? <laughs> way too much. But the court in a five to four ruling went ahead and said, okay, that uh, the Clean Water Act um, does not extend to isolated waters. So in other words, the EPA and the Army Corps of Engineers could not use the Clean Water Act to regulate isolated waters. So does that mean, let's just pretend that Nia and Augie decide to open a spa in the mountains. <laughs> and we buy a piece of land that has a great big pond on it. Yes. Would that pond be considered an isolated water? Is that what it means that it's not connected to other? Is that how they define isolated, that it's not connected to other? Well, in the majority opinion written by uh, Chief Justice Rehnquist, he said the term navigable means that Congress wanted the federal government to show, okay, that the waters, okay, um, are traditionally or historically been viewed as waterways in which boats, ships, people navigate the water to get from point A to point B. So with your hypothetical, if this is a pond, okay, that people have not used historically or traditionally to get from point A to point B, it is an isolated water, okay, an isolated waterway, and therefore cannot be regulated by the EPA or the Army Corps of Engineers. But if you and I bought a property that was a huge lake and people had lived around, and they had used little pontoons to get from one place to another on the lake, then it could, it could fall into that category. Well, what you are suggesting with your follow-up question, okay, actually occurred in practice, which is ah. the Supreme Court's ruling in Swank didn't really clarify things because five short years later, the Supreme Court had yet another opportunity to define, okay, WOTUS. And the court's effort was just as unsatisfying in the second case <laughs> as it was the first case. The, the second case is the Rapinos case, Rapinos versus the United States, okay? And again, what was at issue was the federal government's ability or the federal government's, if you will, authority or jurisdiction to regulate certain isolated wetlands under the Clean Water Act. The court's ruling or the court's vote was five to four, but in reality, it was four, one, four. And some of you are like, well, that doesn't that make any sense. Right. Okay, so five of the justices ruled against the EPA's then broad definition of WOTUS. But the five justices could not come to an agreement as to why. <laughs> of course not. Four of the justices- We all agree y'all are wrong, but we're not sure why. Yeah, so five thought the EPA and the Army Corps of Engineers was wrong, but they disagreed as to why. Four of the justices, um, um, uh, well, three of the justices joined Justice Scalia's plurality opinion, okay, um, where Scalia basically went in and said, navigable waters means that non-navigable waters are relatively permanent standing flowing bodies of waters Okay, and thus the federal government cannot regulate them. So basically, S S 
Scalia went ahead and focused on how historically the federal government made a distinction between navigable versus non-navigable waterways. Uh. Kennedy didn't like that. Kennedy went ahead and said, the federal government had to show a significant nexus, okay, between navigable rivers and sea to qualify under the Clean Water Act. So Kennedy was willing to give the federal government more flexibility, but in this case, Kennedy said, you guys didn't, you guys being the federal government, didn't make your case. Well, not surprisingly, this led to quite a bit of confusion among the lower federal courts that hear most of these WOTUS cases, right? Some of the lower so, courts went ahead and said, Kennedy's opinion should be followed because uh, it was his vote that created the majority. Others said, it can't be Kennedy's vote because he's only one out of five. Right. There are more justices who signed on to Scalia's plurality opinion. Bottom line, Nia, as we get into the late first decade of this millennium, okay, the federal government, okay, had some regulations about WOTUS, particularly non-point sources, but it wasn't until the Obama administration in 2015 that we get the current controversy, okay? Well, actually, I would, I'd like to go back. It was 2014, uh, but you have a question before we get to some of the recent presidential administration efforts to define WOTUS. So what's, so let me make sure that I understand what's happening here. So there's, let's say that there's a stream that runs through your property and it, it ends into a, into a lake that gets used recreationally by humans to do recreationally things, right? And your stream, you are a farmer and you are farming wheat and you're using fertilizer and it gets into the water and then it goes downstream and gets into the lake, into the net, into the, the swimmy lake, right? Your stream is not deep enough to swim in. Your stream is certainly not deep enough to hold a boat. But the EPA wants to regulate that stream and you protest because yes. you say it's not within your purview to tell me what to do with this tiny little stream. Yeah, because it's not a point. Likely, it's not a, yeah, you're. Well, and likely the mitigation that you want me to do is really expensive and I can't afford it or like it's yeah, not because so, I, mean, I want to destroy the river it's, or, the, or the stream. It's because what you're asking me to do is probably relatively expensive and complicated to do. Yeah. So if you're the farmer in this hypothetical, Nia, because you don't want to go ahead and pay for the ex expensive, if you will, changes to your farming practice, you attack the EPA's source or um, uh, authority in the first instance to be able to regulate your stream because right. you go ahead and argue my stream is not a point source of pollution. It's a non-point source and you can't necessarily demonstrate that my stream has anything to do with this lake. Right. Now, under Kennedy's concurring opinion in the Rapinoe's case, the EPA could probably show a significant nexus between your stream and the lake. But under Scalia's plurality opinion, okay, historically your stream has not been navigable. Okay. Right. So therefore, does the EPA and the Army Corps of Engineers 
have the authority to regulate your stream? And the answer would no. be no under Scalia. Okay. That's right. So now, now you get to the rub, as Shakespeare okay. would say, right? So now, so now it's depending on whether the lower court justice sides with Kennedy or sides with Scalia. Yes. As to whether I am going to be, and, and I want it noted for the record, by the way, can we just say, um, Augie and I, very few individuals, I will not speak about industry, nor will I speak about municipalities, but very few individuals want to make water filthy. Like that is no, not, I mean, that I mean, is not I, a thing I, they I grew want. up with farmers, right? right. They're not so out there can... trying to destroy the streams and rivers and lakes upon which we all depend. That is not what they are trying to do. However, their margins are often very, very small. Yes. And asking them to do something mitigation-wise that probably would be very expensive could put them out of business. Like there's a reason that they're fighting yes. this. It's not because they want to ruin the water. It's in part because they want to keep, they want to, they either want a different mitigation plan. They either want longer or less expensive, or they want to, to not have to do that because it's going to cost them the farm. So I, mean, I just wanted to note that. For yeah, I mean, yeah, we're not beating we, up on farmers or loggers. Right. I mean, I know loggers, right? Okay. We could go ahead and debate the merits of cutting down trees and their impact on the environment, okay, uh, greenhouse gases, etc. All I know is loggers are a, are a required profession and I just want you guys to go ahead and remember when the pandemic first hit and there was a run on toilet paper at the grocery store, okay? Well, and homes, if you want homes because we don't want people to be homeless. We require. These days, you, there is at least some wood involved in building most homes. Homes, okay. So, so I mean, the, the question you know, is how these do, are not how people do we who are trying to destroy the world. Right. Yeah, how do we engage in these practices in a way that doesn't do damage, okay, to the environment? The EPA concluded we have to go after non-point sources. To clean up the other 40%. That's right. That's basically what they're trying to do now. They're trying, they've gotten the big stuff. They've gotten the low-hanging fruit. They've gotten the Cayuga to not be on fire anymore, <laughs> right? So they got the big stuff, and now they, they're going after the 40% that is non-point, that is smaller people, and that is probably significantly less intentional and therefore harder to fix. Because so, it is way harder right. to fix a mistake than a deliberate yeah. Right? Okay, if I deliberately because... steal something from you, I've deliberately stolen it. If I borrow something from you and forget to return it, that's a different intent. The law recognizes intent, and we as humans should recognize intent, that those are two different things. Yeah, and I'm glad you went ahead and pointed that out. Unfortunately, because of the two Supreme Court rulings, <laughs> we didn't have clarity. Right. And it got worse. And again, I'm not blaming the presidential administrations, but the last three presidential administrations, Nia, okay, have, excuse the expression, bad pun, muddied the water even more. <laughs> okay. I wondered which of us was going to do it first. Uh, yeah. Thank I mean, you for taking one for the team. Yeah. Right. I mean, listeners, as soon as you <laughs> found out that WOTUS stood for waters Water. of the United States, <laughs> you knew one of us was going to go ahead and use that cliche, right? Yep. <laughs> okay. Um, but well done. So, uh, well, you know, hey, okay. I told a bad joke. I used a cliche. Okay. Um, you know, it's a good day. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's a good okay. day on the podcast. <laughs> right. Okay. You know, we still got 10 minutes left. Okay. I'm bound to go ahead and engage in a couple other bad rhetorical writing, okay, practices here. Um, so far, I don't think I've, uh, I, I've used any profanity, so uh, I won't run afoul of that. Um, but nevertheless, so the Obama administration in 24 uh, announced that- um, In 2014. 20, yeah, 2024, yeah. 2014, I'm already jumping ahead, yes. Um, <laughs> 
uh, they were going to um, uh, propose a new rule, okay, uh, regarding um, uh, WOTUS. Um, and it would, if you will, expand the definition of non-point source pollution. Mm. Well, in June of 2015, they published the final rule and almost immediately states and businesses went to federal court, okay, and had federal courts issue injunctions stopping the implementation of the new rule. Now, I want you to take note, Nia, that was 2015. That was the year before the 2016 presidential election. Ah, uh, yes. Okay, we get a new president, Donald Trump. Not a particularly big fan of environmental regulations. regulations. Or any regulation, really. I mean, don't- Yeah, right, yeah. Okay. Don't limit him. He didn't, okay. he didn't care for, he doesn't care for regulations generally. Okay. Okay. So in January of 2017, the month Trump takes office, the Supreme Court says they're going to take one of these cases where the Obama administration's new WOTUS role was being challenged. And now this is two years later. Okay. Because so that's how long it takes through the court system for things to, to do in the United States. That's right. So two years later, they say, you know what? Okay, fine. We'll hear a case. Yes. And try to and try to settle this. Yeah, if nothing else, could the court perhaps clarify its precedents about whether or not the EPA and the Army Corps of Engineers had the authority to expand WOTUS? Right, right? to expand the definition. Right. Okay. One month later, the Trump administration announces, per the Administrative Procedures Act, that it was going to, okay. Per, per the, I'm sorry, per the, per the. Administrative Procedures Act, because the is administrative. That, is that what gives you the, do, the right to do an executive order? No, but he announces ah. an executive order saying that we're gonna follow the Administrative Procedures Act. I'm giving notice that we are going to pull the Obama administration's definition of WOTUS and perhaps come up with a new definition. <laughs> okay. So mind you listeners, while all of this is going on, as far as the EPA in the Army Corps of Engineers is concerned, they only have the authority to implement a definition of WOTUS that existed before 2015. Because that's the only one that's not been stayed by a federal court. Okay, I was okay. going to say, because the others have injunctions against them from the immediate, oh, no, 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 we were going to fight this in court. That's so right. So we're now back to the pre-2015 definition. Yes. We're back to the Kennedy-Scalia question mark. That's right. Okay. So things are completely muddied, cloudied, <laughs> okay? There's fog, we can't see, okay, <laughs> anything in regards to what is the acceptable, acceptable definition of WOTUS, right? Okay. June of that year, June of uh, 2017, the Trump administration uh, publishes a proposed rule to repeal WOTUS, and they're gonna come up with new regulations. 2018, the Supreme Court says courts of appeal, okay, should- Oh, right, because there's still that court case out there that yeah, they have right. to rule on. Okay. And the Supreme Court, one year later, issues a ruling that goes ahead and says the district court should actually have a trial to determine whether or not the EPA and the Army Corps of Engineers had the authority 
to come up with an expanded definition of WOTUS. Of course, the Trump administration- <laughs> Wait, wait, so they rule that there should be a court case. And Trump think... is already revising the rule <laughs> that's at issue in the court case. Yes. <laughs> Y'all should get together and have a court case about this, except that now there's not even a thing to have a court case about because we've moved on. Yes. Okay, so not working in tandem, but working tangentially. Okay. So, listeners, as you may recall, me and I did a podcast uh, episode about um, rules for the regulators, okay, for yep. the rule makers, right? And I went ahead and mentioned it typically takes 18 to 24 months for a regulation to go from a proposed rule, okay, to a final rule or regulation adopted by an agency. Right, because there has to be comment periods. And yeah, then right. there's a change, and then there's a comment period, and then there's a change, like. Okay, and. It's, and, it's really actually the best thing about democracy. Yes. We're gonna make a rule and you tell us what's wrong with it and you tell us where it won't fit and how it won't work. In October of 2019. Wait. It took two years. It took two years, okay? October of 2019, okay? The EPA and the uh, Army Corps of Engineers published a final rule that officially repealed the Obama administration's 2015 WOTUS rule and restored the quote, 1986 regulatory definition of waters of the United States, <laughs> emphasizing the Supreme Court's rulings in Swank and Rapinos. So they went backwards some 20 years. Yes. Oh, it gets even okay. better. It gets even better. In 2020, so Trump's last three weeks in office, <laughs> the new rule which is basically the old rule, okay, gets challenged in federal court, okay? And the injunction is issued stopping it from being implemented. I'm not done, I'm not done. Because who gets elected and takes office in January of 2021? Biden. Biden. And after 10 months, of review in November of 2021, the EPA and the Army Corps of Engineers now has pro proposed a third definition of WOTUS in the past six years. Okay. Okay. It is it is different than the Obama and Trump um, definitions. The Biden administration, according to many scholars, um, including, uh, by the way, Jonathan Adler from Case Western Law School. He's an excellent, by the way, uh, environmental uh, legal scholar. Um, it's a more modest, conservative approach. It actually references both the Supreme Court rulings in Swank and Rapinos. Okay. Um, and almost every piece of commentary I've read, okay, has said, is it as ambitious as environmentalists would like? No. Is it less likely to be overturned in particular by the U.S. Supreme Court? Yes. Okay. So by- Can I just, can I just throw out there, what I'm trying to, what I'm coming to understand more and more about Biden's administration is that Biden in many ways is truly a moderate in the sense that he, like this is an incremental change, like he's trying to get incremental change. Sure. Rather than, because when yeah. you do big change, the first thing that happens is that you get an injunction because yes. people say, oh, heck to the no, that's too big a change. I'm not going there. You can't make me. But if you go 
if you go little change by little change, then you can get people to say, okay, this is less painful because it's not, it's not this all at once big dramatic thing. Well, Nia, you have heard me say off recording that I am kind of sort of amused by how both progressives and conservatives are critical of the Biden administration's really legislation, <laughs> legisla legislative proposals, but for different reasons. Because the conservatives go ahead and argue that he's one click away from being our first socialist president of the United States, right? Right. But progressives complain. Like he's, he's, he's so moderate and conservative, he might as well not even call himself a Democrat. Well, yeah, and, and, you know, they're very critical, <laughs> and you just used this word a few moments ago, of how incremental his legislative proposals actually are. Because in part, Biden, the old U.S. senator, is willing to negotiate, right. okay, the, the, the substance of legislation that he would like Congress to pass, right? So in many, I mean, and I think he thinks that incrementalism is the only way he's going to get past the huge divide that we have right now in congressional politics. That the only way he's yes. going to get people to get on board is to not do things that are giant in one direction or another. Because yes, the conservatives who think he's a socialist, they say that publicly, but privately. A lot of them are like, yeah, that's I could live with that, right? Like it's not. Yeah, they may not necessarily not doing... like the bill, but at the same time, they're like, okay, what he's asking for is or could have been far worse or more right. expensive, okay, or more intrusive. And progressives are like, well, it doesn't go nearly far enough. Well, right. I mean. You know, is your goal to go ahead and get legislation passed or is your goal to go ahead and achieve everything that you want? OK, because right. at some at some point in time, if you're a member for member of Congress, you got to run for reelection. If you're <laughs> Joe Biden, OK, and this is your first year of your first term and you're kind of sort of thinking about running for reelection in 2024, you got to get some stuff passed. Right. right. You got to go ahead and show the voters you did something, right? right. And even if it's small incremental step, and, and again, I'm a, you know, and I teach the courts, right? You've heard me say this before. If you want to go ahead and get the federal courts to sign off on what you are doing administratively, going for a broad, new, sweeping interpretation of a statutory term isn't going to work is not going to work particularly no. with a supreme court that is populated by six justices appointed by presidents and at least four of them have been openly skeptical either in previous court cases or in testimony in front of the senate judiciary committee of administrative agencies having broad delegated authorities and then deciding to make it even broader with how they interpret statutory terms. Right. right. At least four of our justices believe that that's a power grab. And they've sure. made it clear that they believe that that's a power that, grab. That it's unconstitutional, that it violates checks and balances, blah, 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 well, right? And the other thing is, and I'm I don't I may be wrong because I don't not obviously and you'll correct me because I'm not a, a scholar of the courts in general, but it seems to me that most justices, in fact, almost all justices are conservative little c. Yes. They are conservative in the sense that they don't believe that there should be giant shifts in the law ever. Like that, that the law should should shift as cultural understanding shifts, as the people shift, right? Like, and there's very few times when we have a giant shift in in how we do our how we live our our lives culturally, right? We saw that after 9/11, and we saw the courts take that up. They they took a 
a pretty big shift on what they considered to be terrorism and, and those kinds of things and what you could do with terrorists. But generally speaking, they don't leap out way ahead of where the culture is and where the people are. People There's, are, yeah. I mean, it, it, and it, it, I think it, that tends to be all justices. I think they tend to be a conservative group in general because I think that the law is generally conservative in that way. It changes incrementally. Yeah, there's the old adage uh, among uh, lawyers and legal scholars. Okay, the law should be consistent, but able to be changed. Right. And that's one of the fundamental tensions that you see on, for instance, the Supreme Court. Even with the civil rights rulings of the Warren Court, it was followed by the Burger Court, okay, which did not wildly go back in the opposite direction. Right. Okay. You know, you mentioned, for instance, the, the Supreme Court uh, post 9 11. Did the court rein in the political branches in a number of cases? Yes. But did they say the political branches could not conduct a global war on terrorism without a declaration of war? Yes. So again, okay, it's, you gotta, and, and, and I always caution my students about this. You have to take a look at these institutions over a broader period of time than just one year, three right. years, five years, et cetera. Right. I mean, Think about the statutory term, and I'm going to bring it back to the subject of this podcast. Look at the statutory term WOTUS, right? Waters of the United States, okay, is in the statutory text of the Clean Water Act. But over time, you have agencies interacting with courts. Okay, courts issuing rulings. Does Congress respond? Does a presidential administration respond? All that takes time, right? right? Okay, it takes time. And I understand, you know, if you are uh, an environmentalist and you're concerned about the environment, you're concerned about clean water, yeah, you're we like, have we have to fix it tomorrow. Yeah, we, right? but that's not how government works. Nia, you are fond of using uh, the metaphor that the federal government is like a large ship. Yes, right. It's a. You, it's. You have said it a number of times on this podcast. Yeah, it's in the okay. battle group. It's a carrier. It's okay. huge. Okay, those those large ships are not <laughs> easily turned around. No. Heck, even get them to move 20 degrees to the left or 20 degrees to the right, okay, requires a lot of people coming to a get coming together and saying, yeah, you know, we should avoid that iceberg. Right. Is it 15 degrees? Is it 20? Is it 25 degrees? Right. And how There's fast only should we go? And there's only so much we can do before we capsize the entire thing and it destroys, like we have to, the metaphor holds all the way through. But it's also interesting to me, this water, like it, okay. It took us as a country 250 years to decide that we didn't like filthy water. Yeah. <laughs> and we've only been at it for the last 40 years trying to f decide who cleans it up, how they clean it up, under what circumstances, who regulates it, who has the authority. I mean, it shouldn't surprise us as a country that it's going to take us a while to figure it out. Do I think it needs to be figured out? Of course it does. Do I? Am I on the environmental side of, yes, we should be doing this actively and it should be worked on actively? Yes, but I also recognize that it, because, because nothing in the government moves that fast, you just have to accept that there needs to be comment periods, there needs to be lengthy people, discussions, people need you know, to feel like they have buy-in. Yeah, that, that they, they have, have voice. 
Right. I mean, you know, think about, Otherwise, for instance, we don't have democracy. Should we have an environmental dictatorship? Well, it would certainly be interesting. But <laughs> I mean, I mean, and again, you know, you know, that's the rub of democracy, right? Right. Okay. You know, you want people to, you know, people to have a voice because if they don't have a voice, they're less likely to go ahead and think that the system is paying attention to them, which means they're less likely to accept the decision, which means they are more likely to go to court, okay, to stop the government from doing X. Or foment revolution. Yes. But don't think that that can't happen here. It's already happened here once. And then, yes. and then there was a second attempt. Like the, the, the thought that the United States is sort of somehow immune from enough grumpy people deciding to have a revolution. Like, no, no, it's not. Just because we're big doesn't mean we can't have one. They have yeah, them, they I mean, happen pretty regularly. Like I mean, it, other it, countries have that a lot. We're lucky that we've been as stable as long as we have. And again, listeners, I apologize if I'm repeating myself, but even if giving people a voice ends up being symbolic, okay, you know, uh, with rulemaking, right, you know, a whole bunch of us can go ahead and say, we hate this particular proposed regulation, and the agency could go ahead and say, Hey, thanks for your informed comments, but we're still going to go in this direction. What is it Dr. Twig says? Thanks for sharing. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Thank you for sharing. Okay. Moving uh, on. Which, which is what she usually says to me when I ask her, you know, um, uh, ad nauseum in an AIM question about public health. She's just like, okay, thank you for sharing, Augie. Um, and, and I'm like... <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty much a stupid question, but at least you listened to me, right? Okay. Um, and a lot of times that's what the affected parties want. Right. Did somebody, did somebody listen? Right? Well, and somebody acknowledge that they're being affected. Even if you, okay, so with eminent domain, and I know we're going to get off the topic, so I'm not going to go very far. With if, if, the, if the Corps of Engineers came and did something to a stream on your property, because of eminent domain and they paid you for it. You being able to say, hey, that's not fair is something that someone somewhere should listen to even if they can't stop the overall thing that has to happen because it's not fair and it's not nice and it's not, and you are being put upon. Yeah, you're being affected, right? And, and somebody should say, hey man, I'm sorry that that's happening to you. Like that should be, yeah. That's that's how we, you know, when bad things happen to other people and we say, I'm sorry, we're not saying I'm sorry because I feel guilty. We're saying, I'm sorry that a bad thing is happening to you. And I feel sympathy and yes. empathy for you. And I wish it wasn't ha didn't have to happen or it wasn't happening this way. So yeah. But anyway, to get back to our to 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 get back to our final WOTUS thing. Um <clears throat> so Will we see a new regulation? Like, will uh, we see will we see that completed? Do we think um, in the next well, year or two? Uh, I, I think uh, for listeners uh, who are interested, um, what the Biden administration uh, did in November of 2021 was the proposed rule. Okay, so right. now it has to go through notice and comment. Okay. Um, I suspect at some point in 2022, um, in the Federal Register, um, they will make a public announcement that this is the final rule. And again, because it deals with WOTUS, okay, somebody will sue. Will sue. Um, if it doesn't go far enough, some environmental group will sue. Okay. <laughs> and if it uh, goes what people believe to be too far, then far. they'll sue. Yeah, right. Somebody's okay. going to sue because it's the United States and there's going to be an injunction. Yes, okay. Um, okay. You know, um, we are a litigious society. Um, and uh, But I really do think that the Biden administration WOTUS definition um, stands a better chance with the federal courts. Okay, of taking and it home. And it, yeah, and if it gets to the United States Supreme Court, I actually think because the proposed rule 
talks about how it's complying with both the Swank and Rapinos rulings that you're gonna get even justices who may not like the substance of the rule say, yeah, this makes sense, okay? okay. This is the EPA in the Army Corps of Engineers trying to comply with our convoluted you know, rulings in our previous cases. Okay. Um, so I, I could see, for instance, Breyer, Roberts, um, Kagan, you know, all saying, yeah, this is fine. Heck, for that matter, I could easily even see uh, Kavanaugh, Coney Barrett, okay? Um, maybe even Sotomayor, right? Probably won't It'll go be, as Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, it'd be interesting to see what Gorsuch says, considering he's from the West. Yeah. Where water, water is God. Like, water yeah. is everything. Yeah, and, and, and for somebody like Gorsuch, this is the type of case that could prove to be very difficult for him because... Yeah. On one hand, he's one of the sternest critics of the federal courts deferring to the bureaucracy because he thinks it's, it violates checks and balances. On the other hand, okay, as you pointed out, Nia, he's from Colorado. Okay, water, okay, is, is a precious commodity for folks from the West, right? Yep. And any effort by the federal government to keep it clean to protect its quality has to resonate with a justice like Gorsuch. Right. Right. Yeah. So we'll come back when there's a, yeah. When, we'll come yeah, back when, when there when, and follow it along for in a couple of years when we'll say, okay, when we last left you and then we'll catch, <laughs> catch you up on all the stuff that happens in the next couple of years. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll continue, continue the story of WOTUS. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks Augie. Thank you, Nia. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu slash discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this